Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Highway to the Barranger Zone. Thank you very much to Ryan Sedgwick for sending us that title suggestion. Runners-up, Lewis McMurray. Leclerc's first podium, sponsored by Renault. And Phil C says, Nick Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Turumpitz. Hello, Matt. Hey there, Spanners. How are you doing today? I'm good. What a thrilling race. I was so excited. I don't think my neighbours are very happy. I don't think I've shouted that loudly since 2014 Belgium Grand Prix when Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton came together. Uh, I, I can imagine. Yeah, it was a very exciting race, although I have to say, trying to cover it, that maybe Formula One has finally gone too far in providing overtakes and excitement on track. Oh no, we can't have too much excitement, Matt. What what could we what can we do? If we covered everything that happened in the race, we'd be here for four straight hours. I'll settle in everybody. But before we do, I want to tell you all that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by the very sad Nick Numbers Alexander. How's it going, mate? I'm not crying. You are crying. And we're also joined by Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Yeah, very well. Cheers. It's Mothering Sunday today, so I'd just like to wish a very warm and happy Mother's Day to, to my mother. Oh, no. Yeah, hang on. I've got, I'm going to play this bumper. I've got something to do, and then I'll be right back. No, I'm only joking. Of course, I sent my well wishes to Mama Spanners. Uh, general impressions of the race, though, Kyle. Let's start with you. This is a proper racer circuit for Formula One. It's amazing. If you have 
a track that's appropriate to Formula One cars, you can have overtaking and you can have on-track action. There's nothing wrong with F1. It's the tracks. Uh, I'd I'd half agree certain tracks um, yield better racing, but no, Bahrain always um, yields great racing. It has done in the turbo hybrid era. Uh, Oddly, it wasn't very good in the V8 era, but I think that just shows that the many traction zones and how you can use your ERS deployment really, really pays dividends at this track. So yeah, fantastic race for me overall. I was rarely off the sofa. And there were there were times when you know cars were overtaking regularly around the outside, and you don't see that a great deal, especially that turn one. There was lots of different lines through there, so you saw drivers that managed to hold onto the inside line actually being penalised because you had to scrub a lot more speed to then make it with a car on the outside. So we had some great battles then leading up into turn two based on that. Yeah, um, and because of the yeah, the combination of turns one, two, three. Um, you can wrong foot your opponent. So you can set someone up for a move, not go for a lunge up the inside, go outside. They go, go, they then go inside for turn one and they compromised all up to turn four. And with the addition of the new DRS zone up there this year, it just makes for fantastic racing. And turn four is a bit like uh, Brooklyn's, I'd say on Silverstone's, multiple lines you can go through there. So you'll always get good racing. So Matt, explain what you mean when you said you think it might have gone too far. Well, I, w- I was being a bit... Um... Facetious. It was very, 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 very hard to cover the race because so many things were <laughs> happening so quickly. And, you know, one can only type so fast. Ah, so what you think is F1 needs needs to think about the poor journalists and reporters and uh, 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 secondary media outlets and make it more like Australia. Because all the guys that were used to a very kind of placid reporting period after the Australian Grand Prix suddenly had to get their fingers typing very, very quickly. Uh, but Matt, I think we can agree this had all the ingredients we want out of an F1 race, an F1 appropriate track and with another one to come. Dusty and low grip, that always makes for exciting on-track action. Yep, a highly abrasive circuit, lots of tire degradation, more than one pit stop. It is the formula that that FOM have been aiming at for, well, years now. And I will profess myself entirely surprised that not a single car did a single pit stop strategy, even though, according to Pirelli, that was technically the quickest way around the track. Yeah, Nick, um, we were kind of missing the multi-stops last season was kind of all one stops all unpredictable but there were times at this race we were going okay well what's everyone actually going to do yeah i find it a little bit hard to believe that pirelli would stick by the the assertion that the one stop was the fastest way to go given all the evidence that unfolded over the course of the race Uh, i thought the two stop strategy was absolutely brilliant i mean if you look at the battle between sebastian and Lewis, I mean, it was a tale of two pit stops, wasn't it? Once uh, Hamilton got on those yellow striped yep. mediums, we're calling them now, <laughs> it, it was game on all over again. And it's it's very nice not to um, just watch for that one undercut or overcut and see who comes out in front and then kind of tune out and think, well, that's it. But no, there was always there was always more coming. It was it was great. Nick, you've just highlighted to me that I made assumptions about the race based on last season's tyre colours. I don't think I've adapted yet. When Lewis went onto the softs the second time round, was that the softest compound that was red? No. No, no, no. He went went red, red, yellow. So he went soft, soft, medium. Okay. Okay. So there was another harder one he couldn't have done yet. Yeah, I think I kind of assumed that in my head, but I didn't actually 
realized that I was thinking about last year's colors, which just so happen to have been ultra soft and medium Carl. Yeah. And it's what we want to see is Matt said, um, FOM want to go towards a two-stop um, sort of strategy races, which is why I find it quite surprising that they've made their compounds essentially a step harder than last year. I'd like to see some bigger steps between those compounds because this track, Bahrain, is is characterized by having extremely high tyre wear. Just look at the Formula 2 race. I mean, it's like that there every single year. So in, in other races, I still think we'll be seeing easy one-stops, but I'd like to see the whole range a step down. Yeah, well, I can speak to that real quick in that this year's compounds don't mass match last year's compounds. So even though they were technically harder than the Australia compounds, they were not necessarily harder than last year's compounds. Obviously, just the hardness of them isn't all that's changed about the tire. But the interesting thing to me was that everyone discarded the hard tire very, very early on. And it didn't seem, and I don't believe we saw a single hard tire in the race today, uh, to the best of my recollection. We did. Um, I can't remember who went out on the white striped hard tire, but it, it did make somewhat of an appearance. I was just going to kind of sarcastically suggest that maybe we should bring sand to all the race circuits in line with Bernie's old idea of uh, putting sprinklers on all the circuits. Because um, I think the sand must have obviously very much helped with the with the high tire degradation and also making grip a little bit less predictable lap over lap also um we should have we should have wind generators because the wind was was causing drivers to make all sorts of mistakes so i'd love to have um some nice reverse wind farms around some of the tracks that'd be brilliant but i think it would block the view of some important people's golf courses or something so i don't think that that would ever work I've, I've actually I've told my kids that that's where wind comes from. I'm just waiting them waiting for them to come back to me with their skeptical analysis of why that's not true. Um, but speaking of skepticism, I often try my ki- uh, tell my kids not to believe in magic. But Matt has a magic formula for predicting who will be on pole after FP1. And uh, Matt, how, you are fantastic at telling us when those predictions do indeed come true. I mean, you do go quiet some weeks, but why don't you share with us, not your methods, because a magician never tells, um, but how you feel you've done predicting this week's pole position. Uh, I feel like I did a very, very good job because I predicted Ferrari would be faster than Mercedes. And I suggested to everybody publicly on Twitter before qualifying happened that if you were looking to make some money and make a bet, that betting on Leclerc would be a pretty good option to take. But, and you, then, but oh, you, didn't research, you didn't research the odds so nobody could tell if it was a value bet or not. No, no, I didn't research the odds. But since he's never had a poll in Formula One before and since Vettel beat him in Australia, I was going to guess of the two drivers, his odds were probably longer than Vettel's. No, that's probably true, but I think a lot of our predictions on the panel were that Leclerc would very quickly get get the measure of Sebastian Vettel. And for those of us on the panel that don't particularly rate Sebastian Vettel, sorry, sorry, Nick, it was no surprise to me that somebody who is considered fast, if that was true, would then come and come and beat Vettel's beatable. Nick, do you, would you disagree? I don't think he's like. You know, let's pair up a young driver with Hamilton and expect him to lose. I think Vettel would lose to a handful of people on the grid right now. Yeah, and you listed those individuals in our WhatsApp chat, and 
I don't know. One of them was very questionable, but I won't, I won't, I won't throw that out there. We can um, do it. We can do I, it if you want. No, it's okay. I, I think I, I'm not surprised to see um, LeCoeur taking a poll, fighting for a win. I think I'm a little bit surprised to see it quite so early in the season. I, I can't think that you would have thought that it would have happened on the second race weekend. Well, now then, it is on tape. It is on uh, cassette tape of me and Matt having a chat on this very show. And I did say that I thought it would happen nearly immediately. And Matt was like, well, it might happen, but it would take, you know, half the season for him to get bedded in. And Matt, Matt, I'm not saying that was an unreasonable assumption. I was just a lot more confident that a a genuinely talented driver could come in and at least challenge Vettel. Well, I mean, I think the closest case we have to consider would be that of Verstappen coming into Red Bull. And obviously, you know, he didn't immediately set out and, and win everything always. Uh, okay. Vettel won qualifying in Australia. Leclerc had better strategy in Australia, so he was faster in the race. But that was more down to strategy than driver. And now we're going to see what happens in the next couple of races. If if Leclerc continues to dominate, then I think it's it's obvious we need to rate him as more towards the once-in-a-generation kind of talent. But even being very, very, very good and amongst the best, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised if he dominated from here on out the entire rest of the season. Now, I'll tell you what, the chat room is demanding, Nick, that I, that I give you my list of who I think would beat Vettel. I think we'll do that at the end if we have time. Carl, you just wanted to jump in quickly. Yeah, I think um, Vettel made a very telling comment during winter testing when asked, um, are you teaching him things? Is Charles learning from you? And he he, he kind of instantly flipped it around and said, well, actually, I'm learning some stuff from from Charles. So I think Vettel is fully aware that he's probably going to be beaten this season. Yeah, so I I think one of the things that he maybe is learning from Charles or that he should be learning is to how to keep a calm head because it was impressive from him all weekend he gets pulled he gets interviewed he says you know let's not get overly excited points on sunday all that even during the race he's he's kind of freaking out there's something strange with the engine a totally reasonable response to such a thing happening to you while you're out in the lead of the race but he he immediately regathered himself and and got the maximum result wait a minute wait a minute nick so uh, Leclerc going, what's wrong with the engine? What's wrong with the engine? That's reasonable and calm. Lewis Hamilton going, I think my rears might be going off. Oh, he's throwing his teddy out the pram, Nick. That's not, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I, and there's very, there's, there's a huge selection bias into the radio transmissions that we hear. We get every little message about Lewis Hamilton providing any feedback about any one of his four tires to his engineers. And That's you true. hardly hear anything from, you know, the midfield. That's true. Right. Well, I I will respectfully uh, agree with you, but I think an even better, an even better uh, tell on Leclerc and his maturity is how he handled losing two places at the start of the race. Absolutely. Let's get onto that, Matt, when we talk about where the race was won and lost. Obviously, Everyone's mind is going towards uh, the the MGUH. Not is that the right one, Matt? Was that what went boom on? Yeah, it was MGUH. The MGUH. So that's the thing that posted. recovers energy from the kinetic energy that we build up. No, that harvests energy, energy from the exhaust. There we yeah. go. K is the one that 
that was the old curse system, wasn't it? Um, obviously, we, we understand that that is what ultimately lost the race for Charles Leclerc in a very hot breaking way i think he has the sympathy of the entire formula one community so we'll leave that until last in where the race was won and lost and then we can go into it a little bit about you know the engine philosophies and strategies of mercedes and ferrari but those start battles matt they were something else weren't they yeah i mean ask yourself when was the last time the action at the front was so fierce that you have no idea what happened between grosjean and stroll or why norris went rally cross and the answer is I honestly can't remember the last time we had a start that filled with battles over. And, you know, I put this in my pre-race thread. Normally, you get maybe three laps of racing at the front at the beginning, and then everybody settles in to conserve tires. It was lap six, and it was still very much on. It was impressive. I've not seen something like this in quite some time. But at the start, he he lined up a little bit, um, a little bit crooked. And off the start, he picked up some wheel spin, Leclerc did. And that allowed Vettel to clearly have the advantage on him into turn one. And because he stayed outside, then that also allowed Botas to get next to him and then ultimately to get by him uh, down that long back straight and into turn four, I believe. And at that point, you had the Mercedes and the Ferraris interlaced. So Ferrari's original plan would have been one of my two drivers leads. The other driver will try and keep Mercedes off their back. So we build a nice gap. Then we'll go split strategy, uh, optimal strategy for lead driver, and we'll try and give the the trailing driver a strategy to get them into third on the podium. This would be the plan if you were uh, sitting on Ferrari's pit wall. And it was out the window immediately. It was just madness. Do you think it's a coincidence that both Leclerc and Hamilton struggle to get off the line? Because sometimes you see one side of the grid being better to be on than another, or is that just... Was that just a, a a chance circumstance? It's hard to tell off based off of one circumstance, but it's not really a bad shot because they were both on the on the same side of the the grid, and we know that the wind. I mean, the wind was thirty miles an hour, so a lot of the sand that had been cleaned off the circuit had been brought back on. And if you look at the first few laps, you can just see it billowing up from the tires as they charge down that uh, starting straight there. So let's just go to, to Nick briefly. So you had a front row lockout. You are a self-confessed, like you admit it, like you're a Ferrari fan and you will just say it like out loud in normal conversation. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a trick question. Like there's something wrong with that. But yes, yes, I am. T- tell me something. Do do Ferrari fans love their children? No, it's okay. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they're real people with real feelings and emotions. But you're also a Sebastian Vettel fan. I know you have roots to Germany. Uh, you were waving a little German flag. Have you still got it on hand? Are you are you happy to fly that? Look at that. Yeah. And and you're a German speaker as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah I okay. am. Yeah. So so Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, perfect combination for you. How do you feel about this young buck coming in? And off the start line, who were you kind of cheering on? Who were you hoping would come out? ahead in turn one i i'm trying to be neutral and trying to be a good that doesn't wash that doesn't wash but no but i was gonna say when vettel got the jump and got the good start i will admit that i was excited about that so that probably answers that question kind of a unconscious bias (laughs) um yeah he did well to get around the inside but not not all hope was lost for Leclerc because on that turn one, you can hold it around the outside. Uh, but yeah, you, you suddenly immediately got this great battle between like your favorite driver and a rising star of Formula One. That's proper like heart pounding stuff. That's stuff you wait years and years to see. Yeah. Uh, well, and then it, 
wasn't Leclerc in it for very long because Bottas got the jump on him as well until he locked up into turn two, I believe, and um, and then kind of blew it and fell back to fourth place. And then it, it really seemed like Sebastian was going to drive off into the distance. He was pulling a gap in the first five laps there, something which now in retrospect is kind of laughable to even comment about because that yes. didn't matter for anything at all, did it? And uh, and Kyle, if we go over to the Mercedes side of it, because Bottas quickly got involved and got past um, Leclerc, but that didn't go to plan either. So we're off the back of Bottas, Robotas, dominating with his beard in Australia. There's all like cartoons of muscular Bottas's ripping apart strategists and Lewis Hamilton. And then actually, turn one, he's past Lewis Hamilton again. He's past Leclerc and you go, oh, well, maybe. Yeah, it was like the beard strike, strikes back. The beard was going fully strong for like a couple of uh, a couple of laps, and I was like, "Wow, it 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 is true. It wasn't all just hype after after Australia." But um, we should say, for full disclosure to our audio listeners, Kyle has a beard, so and he he has that one. to cover up a lifetime of facial like just abuse and just horrible <laughs> drinking and drug use. Um, but so he is biased pro beards. So you should put his comments in context. <laughs> Ah, but it only lasted two laps, like I said, um, <laughs> until and because I thought Leclerc was almost done for. It was a bit like Australia. He started, it was a bit scruffy and I was like, oh no, it's happening again. But the way he composed himself and he pretty much just scared Bottas off the track, the way he had that sort of faux lunge and he scared Bottas into mistake. I mean, Bottas said it was the wind, but I don't think Bottas would have made that mistake if it wasn't for Leclerc shoving his nose in. And then the way he kept his composure... Vettel was off at the front and it was like, oh God, here we go. It's going to be the Red Bull years all over again. Vettel does, he gets a two second gap and a run and hide. But but no, it's so refreshing to to see a young charger stick it to the established order. Yeah, it was. And I would be sad if it was really the wind and not brilliant race craft from Leclerc that startled Botas, who didn't expect him to be lunging up the inside into turn one without DRS, which is what happened. And but that was critical also, let's not kid ourselves, because it wasn't just Leclerc that got by there. It was also Hamilton that got by Bottas. Mm-hmm. And that set up Mercedes uh, much better if we were to roll the clock forward a little bit and look at Bottas' subsequent pace on his second set of tires. It, it was much better for Mercedes that that worked out the way it did. But then he just, Leclerc just left him in the dust. He just kept on turning up the, the wick. And then at lap five, he was all over the back of Vettel. And we have the what, famous, infamous radio transmission. I'm faster. Wait a minute. Where did that radio transmission come from? Was that Leclerc? Yep. I missed that completely, Nick. Yeah, the, the quote was actually, I'm quicker, guys, which we talked about on the Australian race review. He talked about, I think he said something like, should I stay behind Vettel? And they said, yes. And now it's, I think he listened to Misty Apex podcast and took my advice about being more assertive. It's the only logical explanation. And he gets on the radio and he says, I'm quicker, guys. So very direct, very much yeah. putting them in a position to make a decision. And the decision was, let them race. How Which, un-Ferrari. That, that, must, I, I, that doesn't sit well with me, Kyle. Strangely, I, like I want that. I like the let them race. But they were very clear at the beginning of the season. They were saying, you know, we are... We have a number one, number two. There might be times where Leclerc has to support Vettel. And awkwardly, after the race, Binotto was interviewed and uh, he was asked the question, hey, what about this Leclerc guy? 
And Benotto was like, yes, yes, we have two really good drivers and we need to get our car package sorted. Yeah, bro, you did not answer that question. Yeah, no, he he, he shied away from it. But at least he gave an interview. I can't see Ariba yes. Bene giving an interview in that sort of situation. So uh, kudos to Benotto. But um, yeah, Ferrari somewhat backtracked in the off-season about, about their favouring Vettel comment. And they said they give both drivers an equal chance. But I think they they might be left to regret their decision in Australia. Um, I think it became very clear to Leclerc in, in his own head straight from Friday that he could have a chance to win the race. That's maybe why he was a lot more assertive on the radio this time. Yeah, so I just have a lot of respect for Benotto giving an interview in that situation because I know how painful it is uh, after after a Ferrari result like that to get in front of a microphone and go in front of a bunch of people. So you're a lot so of respect for him. You're and, and, so and brave, very, Matt Nick. You're so brave. A, a very a very different tone at the top with Benotto versus Arriva Bene. Um, so very much like the the humility and the downplaying um, versus the 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 chest thumping, if you will. Yeah. But, um, now with Ferrari, Ferrari did kind of completely favor Leclerc here. I was surprised. Um, I made in my notes, I was like, they're throwing Vettel, Vettel to the, to the Lions when they pitted Leclerc first, they could have pitted Vettel first easily, I think, and still covered it, but they didn't. So, um, so all Leclerc has to do in the next couple of races is to do the same thing. And I think Ferrari left of no choice, but to totally back Leclerc. Well, this is what Usman Salim in the YouTube live chat says, Nick, he says, Ferrari need to back Leclerc. If you want opinions to come live to us while we're recording, go to YouTube and search for MissedApexPodcast.com and you can chat live while watching the video from your phone or your tablet. It's, it's all like you see our pretty faces and then you can tap in and text underneath. But Nick, should Ferrari now back Leclerc or at least t- take away any kind of... Uh, idea that Vettel's the number one by default. Yeah, so so I just want to disagree with Kyle a little bit first and just say that I don't think that they left Sebastian to the Wolves so much as that Hamilton was so close to Sebastian who was so close to Leclerc that they did have to pit Leclerc to cover Hamilton and Max nodding his head so I must be accurate there. We'll get there. Yeah. And um yeah, no I think it's too early to back one driver or the other. I think the fact that they even let Leclerc overtake Vettel on track um, is is a huge step and something that Kimi never would have gotten. And so I think just keep being the happy team player and be happy that you're allowed to race. And then, you know, maybe sooner or later, they will start to prefer you. All right. So you're going to you're going to be sorry you you gestured for me here because I have not one but two points that will probably take the entire rest of the broadcast to get out. But first of all, Let's note that Vettel was quicker in Australia, a circuit that Leclerc had never raced on before, except for last year. And he, Leclerc was faster in Bahrain, a circuit that he raced multiple times, both on F2 and in his first year in F1. So we might be in a position this year where we see Vettel having the advantage on circuits that Leclerc hasn't, doesn't have as much experience on. Just wanted to bring that up because I meant to earlier and forgot. But as far as the pit stops go, it's very interesting because neither Hamilton nor Bottas had the correct sets of tires to make Pirelli's fastest strategy work out. And I think we saw a lot of that play out in the race. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about strategy then before we get to um, the, the subject of the MGU. 
Bottas's current form. We'll talk about Vettel and his spin, of course. Hamilton's race to put him in the position to win. And, uh, and of course, some whose fault is this is situations. But first, Matt, let's just set the stream, the, the scene, because this is the first time strategy has played a proper role in the season. So we had Leclerc up front. We had Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton swapping places, but eventually Lewis Hamilton um, was ahead before the first pit stop. Then we had Vettel and Bottas and then Verstappen. So just just give us a, 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 a sort of brief summary of how the strategy was working out from that point on, because there were real choices to make. Right. So in the first stop, both Leclerc and Hamilton stopped on the same lap. And that was, as is, is Nick pointed out, primarily to prevent Hamilton from undercutting Leclerc, because especially if he got by Vettel, it was going to be perhaps a tight run thing. But the interesting thing was that unlike Leclerc, Hamilton went on to a set of softs. And the the best strategy for your front runners, according to Pirelli, would have been a two-stop going from soft to medium to medium. Both Ferrari drivers had two sets of brand new mediums they could employ. Neither Mercedes driver had this which does tend to make me think that Mercedes was probably eyeing a one-stop strategy, which did work last year, up until they actually got into the race and saw how quickly the tires were going. And at that point, Lewis had a pair of brand new softs left over from qualifying. Botas didn't. So they probably put Lewis on the soft tire, not because they thought it was necessarily better, better, but because it was new. And so Lewis could at least use two new sets of tires in his two-stopper. Now, let's talk about the soft tire real quick. It probably has about an eight-tenths advantage per lap. Hamilton came out less than four seconds behind Leclerc. Theoretically, that tire could have caught him and gotten him in front of and track position for the second set of stops, or at least slowed Leclerc's race down somewhat and made it more difficult for him to drive off into the distance, which is what actually happened. Because as it turned out, and as you were correct, the soft tires really didn't work like we expected. Okay, we should say first, though, that this, the um, the first pit stop was kind of triggered a little bit by Verstappen's slow puncher. Although they could probably have ignored that all the way up front. I'm surprised to hear you say that you think that Leclerc was covering off Hamilton. So did they know that Hamilton was going to pit and therefore they covered off? Because obviously Hamilton was behind and it was like a three second gap. So that would have been like a hell of an undercut. Yeah, well, the the undercut can run a a second and a half or two. But I think their concern was that Vettel didn't have the pace to keep Hamilton behind him. And so they they were looking at lap 13. The lap that Pirelli said was the ideal lap to pit was 15. So they brought him in the end of lap 12. And I think that was entirely to protect from the possibility that Hamilton would get round Vettel. And Uh, that means they might have already known something about Vettel's pace, particularly on the soft tire. Vettel was not strong. He was much stronger on the medium tire. So they may have felt there was a good chance that that Vettel would have been passed down the DRS into turn one and left Hamilton chasing Leclerc directly on the following lap. So it made sense to bring him in strategically at that point to protect their race lead. Uh, just to Kyle quickly, um, the alternate would have been to go onto a medium or a hard or to try, you know, that one stop strategy. But if you look at Magnussen, that was possibly not the way to go. Yeah, uh, all of the one stops pretty much failed. I mean, Danny Rick was making a good hash of it and they were together on track at one point. So I don't know what happened to Magnussen, but um, 
yeah, it's a shame that the hard tire didn't come into play. It was it was too hard. Um, so that's why I need to go softer on the compounds because that would have made that would have opened up more sort of feasible one stop options. Yeah, Magnuson just came in for a second stop because it was obvious that the tires wouldn't support the strategy. But it's a shame that the hard tire just it was too hard. It was discarded. I mean, I think Kibitza started on it, but um, but yeah, it just wasn't a race tire. It wasn't a usable tire at all. So that's why we need to go softer on the compounds. And some of them could have jumped over that and made the one stop work. All right, boys, we've got a choice here. We can either go for the whose fault is this is is, or we can go for the MGU. I think we're going to have to go uh, and find out what was going wrong with the heartbreaking moment where Charles Leclerc had to not retire, but fall down the grid due to uh, his MGUH not harvesting energy. Uh, But first of all, I hope you'll have some patience while we hear a word from our sponsors. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. Matt, poor old Charles Leclerc, leading a race in only his second season, in only his second race in a Ferrari. This is it. This is what he's been dreaming of his entire career. Then all of a sudden, he realises he hasn't got the full power. He's 20-odd kilometres down on the straight, and he sees that 10-second gap to Lewis Hamilton behind him fall by I think about a second per sector, that must have been absolutely crushing. It was 40 kilometers on the straight. Oh, wow. And five seconds a lap, basically. Savage. So, look, let's put this in context. In Australia, you said to me that you heard or read somewhere that they never ran their highest power modes at all. So, clearly, Ferrari have some kind of issue with their engine around cooling. Um, The general thinking in Australia was that there was a reliability issue that reared its head at the end of testing that they caught when they reviewed the data. And that in Australia, in order to protect the 
engine from failure that they ran lower um, ECU mappings, lower power ECU mappings, meaning they didn't use the full power of the engine. And they felt like they had a strategy that would allow them to be competitive while they sorted out whatever their issue was. Now, mainly the talk revolved around cooling, but there were also some very weird other adjustments on the car. And frankly, it was probably all tied up together. Um, And then we get to Bahrain, and suddenly Ferrari are back on it. They look like the same car that we saw in Barcelona. And the talk, if there was talk of cooling, generally people were saying the problem uh, Ferrari was having was that they were cooling the engine too much in Australia, which I don't think tells the entire story. And I have a hard time believing that other than a very acute cause, uh, acute symptom of something else that was causal. So it's it's performance versus reliability. And if you remember, I think it was 2017, Kyle, you've got to help me with my memory here, where they were suffering with their brakes overheating and their engine overheating. So they had to make compromises with the inlets. And then they ended up uh, both their brakes dying. In fact, it must have been 2016 because it was Rosberg. So I think they're both their brakes died in Canada. And then they had similar situations in Singapore. Yeah, that was Mercedes in 2014, I believe. At oh, wow. Canada's when, yeah, yeah, it was when they lost all of the K and the recovery on the back. So they cooked their rear brakes, which is, I think, if it, uh, Charles Leclerc was going to approach those sort of similar problems. But with the MGUH and going back to Australia, um, there was also, if you saw somebody on boards, there was some really weird D rates from the engine at the end of the straight where it stopped deploying electrical energy. So they're obviously running their MGUH in a in a much sort of protected mode for some reason then and yeah as Matt said this this could well be linked to their Australia troubles. So then I, I would put to you Matt that this isn't a random power unit failure and it's just one of those things that happens in motor racing. This is a calculated risk from Ferrari after seeing their poor Australia pace. It was a calculated risk to go for more performance and less reliability, and it just didn't go their way this time. And I will further postulate, I'm not entirely sure what that word means, but it sounds good. I will further postulate that had they not taken that risk, Mercedes would have again just rolled off into the distance like they did in Australia. Well, there's a very big leap at the beginning of your logic. Go on then. And that's that this specific failure was related to the issues that they suffered in Australia. All right. Okay. And hang on a minute. Hang on. That's not a massive leap, is it? That is that is the status quo. No, that's like Occam's razor. That it's look, a giant they, leap. They, ident- they identified a power unit problem at the end of testing. They had to power down their engines in Australia due to a power unit problem. Leclerc has just lost the lead of a Grand Prix due to a power unit problem. It's not a huge leap, Matt. It's the simplest, most likely solution. Well, I know you like to think that way. But the reality is a lot of the talk in Australia was centered around the exhaust um, and exhaust. There were exhaust failures. In fact, Haas suffered an exhaust failure in qualifying, a crack. And so there was some thinking that the problem lay with the in or around the exhaust because Ferrari has a, a fancy manifold that they run. That is it 3D printed? I don't remember. But I didn't hear a lot of talk about their energy recovery being any kind of an issue whatsoever. So we go to the race and we have a failure of the MGUH, which, yes, could, could it have overheated and gone? Maybe, except for 
there were how many Ferrari powered cars in this race? Yeah, lots, but yeah, yeah, lots. Yeah. And out of all the both races, <laughs> how many have suffered a failure? Well, exactly that's exactly one. No, no, Matt, no, no, no. I can't yeah. let you get away with that because in the first race, they deliberately went down to a performance level that would mitigate against these failures. And now you're saying that you're, you're describing lots of different symptoms. You can have the core issue being overheating and that can manifest itself with lots of different symptoms. Now I, I will, I, we've, we've both had our, our say on that. So like you're saying it might be just a completely different random issue, but for me, you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it is probably more engine problems due to cooling when they've pushed the performance past what they can reliably depend on. Here's my problem with that, though. Who was using their engine harder, Vettel or Leclerc? Leclerc off in the distance, eight seconds up the road. There's no way he was running at anything close to full power at that point in the race. I don't, I don't think None. that marries up. I think Zero. Zip. Nada. He was under no threat no, no, whatsoever. They're, they're, they're I guarantee base, you the they baseline... turned it down... The baseline, the baseline performance will have been higher than it is in Australia. That's different to certain race engine modes. Kyle? Yeah, uh, the telling thing would be as if he has to take another unit. So it'd be really interesting. I don't know whether they'll announce that soon. They tend to not announce it until the eve of the next Grand Prix weekend. But that'd be one to watch whether he has to take a, a new MGUH unit. So my only issue in general with all of this is obviously Leclerc is desperately unlucky. I would take some issue to say that Mercedes lucked into a win. I'd be happy with Hamilton lucked into a win. Um, but to say Ferrari were completely robbed, I think is unfair. To say that Leclerc was robbed is certainly true. But I think Ferrari may have had a hand in their own demise. And who can blame them for taking a performance risk, Kyle? I'm not doing that down. That is something in sport that you have to take. Even athletes with their own bodies have to do performance versus reliability. Oh, indeed. And it could well be that. It could be a risk and they've turned up and they've taken a huge risk. It could be something totally unrelated, but we like a conspiracy theory. So it's, in my eyes, it's clearly related. But, um, conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they've closed the cooling down too much. It's overheated and they've lost it on the class because he was rinsing his engine way more than Vettel was. Okay. But you know who, you know who differs with your view there, Kyle? Toto Wolf. He's like, oh, if it was a cooling problem, they would have seen that well in advance and told him to turn it down. He says, whatever it is, caught them by surprise. And that was yeah, after the race on on Sky. So I, I really, I'm not going to say it's not related because we don't know. But what I will say is that there's no direct evidence currently that it was related. And I'm thinking of how much did that part cost that stopped Lewis Hamilton's engine? Was it like five euros? Some plastic bit shut him down in a race? Was it last season, season before? I don't know. I mean... Engines fail for lots of different reasons until we get a forensic accounting of exactly what occurred. It's, it's, it's just difficult to say. And without Vettel's going or the Haas or the Alphas going, because I'm fairly sure they were all allowed the same modes this weekend, because that's what the FIA says has to be true. Okay, right. I, I'm, I just Matt, think... I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to pull. I'm going to pull the. I've been a fault finding engineer for twenty years. Card here. I just have to because when you've got a problem, it doesn't always manifest itself in every system that you are, you know, pushing to its limit. I'm sure Kyle will back me up on that. Uh, Nick, yeah, I think that's the the computer programmer equivalent of the code works fine on my machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and therefore, there's not a problem with it. Um, I've got a conspiracy theory in that. Toto Wolf, I, I think, is like the one person on earth single handedly 
keeping me in my Ferrari fandom. <laughs> yes, he's always he's, talking down Mercedes and talking up Ferrari. Yeah, because ultimately he wants to sell Mercedes road cars and no one will buy them if they don't tune in to watch Mercedes win Formula One on TV. So I would certainly hope to think that this uh, MGUH failure is a random thing and that the team was robbed and that that there's not an underlying problem with the car because I want them to be competitive. And so I'm just going to just going to harvest the the power of positive thinking and I'm going to choose to believe that. Last quick point, Matt. Yeah, well, I will see to you that if we talk about the race won and lost, you can absolutely argue that Mercedes won the race today based on reliability. They've engineered an amazingly reliable power unit that is remarkable in the efficiencies it delivers. However, I would also argue that a one out of six failure rate in today's race doesn't augur that Ferrari has a system-wide problem with their power unit or that the pace they displayed today isn't something they're not actually entitled to with the basic design of their car. Definitely said quick point. I'm going to roll the tape back to see if I did, but I think I did. Now it's time for... Whose fault is it? Unlike Australia, we actually had some racing incidents to talk about. Well, what other fools call racing incidents? What other boring podcasts who don't actually talk about the racing class as racing incidents? There's no such thing as a racing incident here on Missed Apex Podcast. I run this podcast like I run my marriage. If there is a fire in the building, we must establish who started the fire before we escape from the fire. So we will be establishing blame here. Quick stat provided by Anil Palmer. Um, He was quote tweeting somebody else, but I've forgotten. Apologies who that was. But in Australia, there was something like 0.5 overtakes. Whereas in Bahrain, uh, there was 1700 overtakes. No, there was 97 overtakes, 47 of which were DRS passes. And there was a a heavy DRS zone. However, I I would take fake passes over what we had in Australia. So stupid factoid. So Charles Leclerc took pole. Well, he was a 99th person to take pole in the 999th race. Can you imagine they would have lost their mind on the little F1 Twitter if Giovinazzi had made overtake number 99 out of 99 in car number 99 and race 9,999? We, we would have lost out on virtual stat man there because he would have been... He would have been elevated to mega stat stardom uh, with pushing that tweet. Uh, but we are trying to get Sean Kelly uh, onto the podcast sometime in the next week. The real Sean Kelly, not the fake Sean Kelly that made some comment about Marcus Ericsson's driving credentials. And somebody replied, well, I've lost all respect for you. Uh, if you're going on Missed Apex podcast, I'm never listening again. Completely different Sean Kelly, Nick, completely different. To be fair, we are going to have him on. We're also going to have the other Sean Kelly on as well. Uh, no, okay. Whose fault is this? Um, there was an early one in practice, actually, that caused uh, a bit of argument around uh, around us guys. Uh, Giovinazzi and Nico Hulkenberg, neither of them, Kyle, on a outlap, uh, on a fast lap at all. Uh, and they just came together. To me, it looked like a case of no driver knowing what was going on. Uh, I believe Gio was on a hot lap, wasn't he? And Hulkenberg wasn't. And Hulkenberg let 
Raikkonen through the first Sauber and then just neglected to let Giovinazzi through. Giovinazzi went up the inside and Hulkenberg just turned into him. That's an absolute 100% slam dunk Hulkenberg's fault. Wait a minute. I'm surprised he got away with that. Nick's waving a German flag. So who do you think's fault it was? Right. So anytime I say anything's anybody's fault or anybody deserves the Pony Award because I have to pick one, somebody goes on Twitter and tells me that I'm biased. So I'm, I'm... if you're not watching the live stream and you're listening to the audio in your Monday morning commute, I am holding a German flag to tell you that I am not biased against Nico Hülkenbeck. And I think it was his fault. Giovinazzi was going much faster than him on the racing line, on the apex of the corner, and Hülkenberg turned into him. And whether he didn't see him or didn't expect him or anything is completely, revel- completely irrelevant you can't do that. It's your fault. I'm yeah. not saying throw him out of the sport, but we're assigning <laughs> yes. blame and it was his yeah. fault. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, out. my, my, uh, my eight or nine year old, eight or nine, I don't know. The ages change so quickly. Um, tree face, his com- common argument is, well, I didn't mean to. Like he clattered into his sister because he wanted to overtake her because she was crossing the road too slowly and then when he got to mounting the curb he realized that the dipped bit that makes it easy for the bike to go up on was fully occupied by his sister so he just cut across her and just knocked her over in the road and straight away he just goes i didn't mean to yeah but you're both still on the floor about to get run over carl it's no defense no there's another little whose fault that we i think we've missed i don't think it's in the show notes and that was um grosjean in qualifying uh blocking norris in in q1 and whose fault was that? It was Grosjean. I think both Norris and Grosjean both blame Vettel. Saying that Vettel um, uh, weed all over the pr- unspoken rule of don't pass before the last corner, before your fast lap, did that, made Grosjean snap, spank the brakes on and then completely screwed Norris's, Norris's lap. And he had, even if that was true, and he did have to slam on the brakes, he could not have gotten off the racing line at that time. I'm sorry, that was a as clear of a, Rokuro was at fault and going slowly along the racing line as there ever was at whose fault it was. I'd argue that because um, both Norris and Grosjean said it was a consequence of Vettel dive bombing and passing Grosjean and Grosjean didn't have time to react. And then he got back on because he was just about to start his lap. So he had to get on to start his lap. So he just didn't know Norris was there. So Norris didn't actually blame Grosjean at all. That's, that's very much a, he didn't mean to. I didn't mean to be moving slowly on the racing line and being in the way. No, if he was going that slowly that he was impeding somebody behind him and getting a grid place penalty, then he wasn't moving fast enough to have a quality uh, hot lap. Anyway, he needed to abandon it and go around again. Yeah, but it was a consequence. It was, it was a consequential error. Okay, fine. It was Vettel's fault. <laughs> we should probably blame Vettel for everything today because it'll just be easier. Yeah, I mean, let's not go any further then into the whose fault is this without talking about Vettel on Hamilton because somebody's put that in the show notes. I I believe it's Kyle because it's got a smiley emoji. Um, uh, It's not contact. And I don't think Hamilton had anything to do with that contact, Nick. But as a Vettel fan, as a Ferrari fan, and I don't want to keep beating you over the head, but please describe in crushing detail um how you felt in fact kyle what was the stat that you that you wheeled out earlier oh yeah um i had a quick look and it flashed into my head as soon as um as soon as it actually happened i was like we've seen this an awful lot in recent history from from vettel and in the last 10 races he has had a self-induced spin when racing in close combat four times he's had a 40 percent rate of failure in close combat in the last 10 races that's that's not a good stat how, how does that feel how does that feel nick 
So can we play Whose Fault Is It for Why Does Nick Drink Whiskey on the show? <laughs> <laughs> it's Vettel's fault that Nick drinks heavily on a race weekend. Um, but, you know, you've got to be worried for the guy. It is very similar circumstances to Monza, to uh, uh, Paul Ricard. This just keeps happening when he's slightly behind in a wheel-to-wheel battle. Yeah, I'm actually getting flashbacks to Germany last year when you twisted the knife on me. In so, front of yeah, his home fans, Nick. In front of his home fans. How did that feel? Look, I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a partisan bias thing. We do bring you on. We do have other Ferrari fans as well. They're just less vocal than you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what a bummer. Yeah, well, you bring me on because you're clearly superstitious and realize every time you invite me on, something horrible <laughs> happens to your your oh, driver's Okay, opponent. okay, Nick, roll, uh, Kyle, roll the stats back, and I want a correlation between Nick being booked to come on the show and Vettel spinning in contact. Um, anyway, Kyle, but there's sure no thing. Uh, sorry, uh, Nick, there's no question that Hamilton caused that. I think he just maybe got on the power a little earlier, wind, dust, a variety of things. Yeah, it was kind of a strange one. So he he took that right-hander in turn four, I believe, and he was kind of working his way out to the the outer curbs on the left and 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 didn't go all the way wide and got on the power and just went around clockwise. See, I was wondering, Kyle, do you, do you think that there was a chance in his head that he might be able to pull to the right of Hamilton and therefore he was just putting a little bit more lock and getting down a little bit earlier than you would have done if he was just on his own in that corner? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was obviously trying to undercut him and get up the inside of him for the next chicane. But always when we see these little spins from Vettel, it's always when he's on quite a lot of lock at full load in the middle of a racing situation. It's like in those very sort of split seconds when you're driving on autopilot, essentially, he's thinking about getting up the inside of the next corner. He's not thinking of how much throttle he's putting on. That's an instinctive thing. And it, at the moment, his instincts are letting him down on the knife edge in those split second scenarios. I just want to say hello to Mark McArdle in our chat room. Hello there, Mark. You won't recognize that name, but you definitely know who this guy is. He was running the account Fake Charlie Whiting uh, for many years, and I'm really glad to see him here on the chat room. Still a fantastically funny F1 commentator. Do go and follow his new account, which is by searching Mark McArdle, M-small-C, big A, R-D-L-E, because he's still a funny and fantastically well-informed Formula One fan. And what do you think, Matt? We need to bully him to come back on Missed Apex. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, would, I would be delighted to have him back on the show. Awesome. Tell you what, we've covered Vettel's spin. We've covered, covered the failure of Charles Leclerc's, Leclerc's car. Matt, go on. Um, so it has to be Ricciardo versus Hulkenberg next? Oh, we're going to carry on with the whose fault is this is his. Yeah, this is a funny one. The Renault battle, it's not going... All Ricardo's way, is it, Kyle? Like, we thought he was going to go in there. As soon as it was announced, it was around the time of Missed Apex Live, by the way, um, which there are still four spaces left, I think, for Missed Apex Karting. You can race against me and Kyle and Bradley Philpot and Alex Van Jean and actually Sarah Nickel as well. Um, who else is coming out of us? Like Chris Stevens. You can race against Chris Stevens. But that was around the time Ricardo had announced he was going to Renault. We did a show of hands. Everyone thought he was going to go in and wipe the floor with Hulkenberg. It's not happening immediately. No, no, it's not. Well, it's quite the other way around. Um, Hulkenberg, actually, my list was going to be my star of the race behind Leclerc. He come up from 
almost last, well, 17th or something like that, and he was up in sixth at one point. Stunning drive. But but going on to a little incident, it looked like a case of Ricciardo thinking he's still in a Red Bull and trying to do one of his late lunges up the inside and not managing it and clunking him. So I think Ricciardo's not covering himself in glory at the moment. Let's be clear. At one time in the race, Ricciardo led the whole thing. Only Anyone for about can... a third of a lap, but still. Yeah, Anyone because he had pitted. Never stopped, yeah. Uh, well, Jerome Jordan says the Hulk is very underrated. Nick, would you endorse that? Yeah, so I get my German flag back out and say that I was uh, very excited watching Nico's progress on the uh, on the leaderboard throughout the race, and um, a little disappointed about the lack of the Formula B television coverage with the with the video angles. But there was just so much going on at the front that it was kind of understandable yes. this time. Well, 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 Matt, we tend to go to the Formula B kind of in the week on our waffle, and then you know on the shows in between the races. He's talking about the TV coverage, but finally someone agrees with me about too much action in the race. I mean, we couldn't cover Formula <laughs> exactly. B because the Formula front people were just being too entirely go, Nick, you know, we need stealing the, the spotlight. We need the opposite no. of sprinklers. We need hair dryers to make sure that there's perfect traction and grip everywhere. No, we need we need sand. No, I wasn't saying that there was too much action. I didn't like it. I'm just saying there was so much action at the front that yeah. it made sense this time that we didn't get more Formula B television coverage but yeah he stormed from 17th up to 6th until um somebody in the Renault garage tripped over a power cord um credit to Earl in the chat room for that one Kyle yeah it's almost like Cyril Abitable's special Red Bull switch off box that he had hidden all through last year uh, he left it in his bag and somebody accidentally whoop lent on it in the back of the garage on that lap turned them both off yeah there needs to be some sort of like outgoing checklist that you know when it team gets a you know new engine manufacturer that you reclaim those kind of uh, properties <laughs> uh so nick were you disappointed when the german nico holkenberg just chopped the nose off ricardo into turn one during that incident yeah no that's exactly the opposite of what happened so uh ricciardo i think would admit that he he locked and and lunged pretty heavily into turn one and just kind of got the back of nico who had left him more than enough space clearly not his fault I'm going to disagree entirely. It was obviously Hulkenberg's fault because he should have known that Ricciardo was going to drive that car like it was a Red Bull and would have no idea that by actually trying to turn into a corner that fast, he was simply going to understeer into the uh, the space and through the space that Hulkenberg had left him. So Hulkenberg should have known better because he knows the car better and should have known that any car going that fast in that location was just going to understeer massively and cause all sorts of damage. Unfortunately, just to Ricciardo, Hulkenberg got off scot-free. Yeah, what an idiot, stupid Hulkenberg. But that's a fascinating battle. That's going to be a fascinating season-long battle between two incredibly talented top-line drivers. Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in Australia, or maybe, maybe in the show that was in between Australia and here, but how are we going to rate Hulkenberg if at the end of the season he is clearly the winner of that teammate battle? And uh, what kind of future could he have even though he's you know a little bit older than a lot of the up-and-comers we have to hardly rate him i think everyone hardly rates him he's still never get a po- never got a podium but i think deep down inside when ricciardo signed for Rene hulkenberg gave a little fist pump inside he knows he's got this is his chance to shine this is one chance to like prove with beyond doubt that he is a top level driver because ricciardo's class is a top level driver and at the moment hulkenberg is very much yeah he's considered a journeyman driver by a lot of people and, and this is his time to shine or 
maybe we're just seeing, you know, the improvement and experience of someone who is in his prime and who has been in Formula One an awful long time. And surely you can't do it for that long without getting better and getting good. Anyway, a fascinating one. Someone who we actually often neglect talking about on race reviews, Carl, is Lewis Hamilton. If you roll the tapes back, we do often uh, forget about him when it comes to these and we talk about him more in the news shows. However, he did win the race today. Uh, obviously, some either fortune or better engine management between Ferrari and Mercedes. That could go either way. You can you could argue that either way. And we have done at length. Uh, but he had to put himself in the situation to take advantage of that. At one point, he was fourth in that battle. It was a really good race from Lewis Hamilton. It was. It was brilliant. It was very racy, very fighty. And again, fantastic race car craft and fantastic overtaking manoeuvres, which we've come to expect from Lewis. But he put a brilliant move on Bottas. He put a great move on... Um, he put a fantastic move on Vettel. Uh, his first attempt on Vettel to go around the outside of Turn 4 was... I couldn't believe he even attempted it. He come from so far back and he almost pulled it off. So it was a typical Lewis racing through race, which was a race I think Vettel would very much like to have to his name at the moment. Uh, but it's amazing to see five-time world champion, four-time world champion. We've seen them going wheel to wheel quite a few times now, Carl. Yeah, and and it's always Hamilton that come, comes out on top. It's almost like Hamilton versus Rosberg in close close wheel scenarios that Hamilton always seemed to come out on top and Hamilton's managed to get this psychological edge over Vettel now. So when this situation happens again in the future, and I'm sure it will, um, Vettel's always going to have in the back of his mind, I can't afford to make another mistake. So he's always going to be slightly more timid. I think Hamilton's really got inside his head. Look, let's face it. We've known since that F2 race that kicked Hamilton upstairs into the McLaren that he's had racecraft. That has always been his thing. But I'll tell you honestly what impressed me most was his ability to manage that soft tire. He lost far less time than it looked like he was going to once Vettel got past him after the first pit stops. And that that was the salvation of his race up until, of course, uh, Leclerc's engine let go. Okay, so I'll, I'll say the nice thing about Hamilton so that Spanners doesn't have to and be accused of being biased because we all know that I'm that I'm very much biased against him. But hater. Matt has hit the nail on the head. Um, he's on... He's on the red soft tires and he gets passed and he hung in there. And what happened to Charles was extremely unfortunate, but Lewis never gave up and was mentally strong all race and ultimately was in a position to pick up the pieces. And I don't think that just anyone uh, could have had that tire management and had gotten that done. Yeah. And also it was really nice to see how Lewis knew he he lucked out massively and he knew it was Leclerc's weekend. So his, his, his message on the radio, on the cool down lap in the, in the room, just before he got on the podium, he was extremely gracious and almost like a chaperoning sort of attitude towards, um, towards Leclerc. And it's going to be really interesting to see how long that lasts for until Leclerc gets one up on Lewis and see if that attitude's still there. Cause I don't think it will be. That, I mean, uh, that seemed genuine, Nick. Yeah. I was just going to say that that was a uh, complete class. That was, um, that was really nice. I mean, I think everybody likes Charles in the paddock um, so far. And to see him get the support from from his teammate and from his competitor and from everyone interviewing and everything was, was, was really nice. You remember Singapore 2012? I'm pretty sure Hamilton felt that way for a reason. He's been there. He's had his car let go like that. And it's the hardest thing in racing, I think, sometimes for drivers to deal with. We've got some any other business. It's been an action-packed show. And as Matt pointed out, 
the F1 circus has selfishly provided too much action for us to get through. But patrons can tune in and listen to me and Matt waffling on a Monday. Uh, Not live, but we do put out the recorded version on MP3 and provide our patrons with an RSS feed, uh, which we also post in the Patreon Slack group. So consider supporting Missed Apex podcast. Uh, It's patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We're asking you to contribute financially to the project and in return, you will get some additional worse content because we don't we don't like save our best content for those waffle cast Matt. I'd, I'd say quite the opposite. Quite the opposite, indeed. Uh, we are making a real concerted effort to provide extra stuff for our patrons. That is along the lines of what we do here. So please, if you can, when you can, chuck a few dollars into the kitty and come join us on Slack and argue about all sorts of ridiculous stuff. There's a channel for literally every interest. I was going to add another word. There, there's there, a channel for books, it. as if anyone reads books anymore. Oh, honestly. Oh. Bit, bit awkward. Nick Numbers Alexander, you have a book podcast where you read a book and then you all having read it, you then talk about the thing you read. Yeah. So I have a book discussion podcast that I host that I've just launched called What's It About? And we're on Stitcher and we're now on iTunes. I've taken video producer Steve Amy with me <laughs> as well. And um, we're going to do a show on on Monday night about Alex Garland's The Beach um, and Steve is going to be on and actually Steve will have not read it. So that might shake things up a little bit. Good. Go and read. Go and listen to what's the title of the podcast. It's called What's It About? What's It About? And listen to people who have not read a book discuss what the book may or may not be about. That's uh, well, you've not. I don't know if you've sold it there. Two or three of us will have read it with just one person having not read it to kind of keep us on track in case what we're saying doesn't make any sense out of context. Follow at Nick Alexander F1 on Twitter. We'll catch up with the other guys in a second. A little bit of news that we didn't really get to. Norris wins Formula B, Kyle. Lando Norris. Where did he finish in the end? Sixth. That's incredible. McLaren, hats off, because that looked like it was on pace. It looked like it was on merit. They looked fast. It looked steady. Norris looked on fire. I'm so excited now. Yeah, fantastic drive from Norris. I think it probably would have been seven or eight if it wasn't for the Renaults dropping out. But but yeah, the Renaults were going to win Formula B between, uh, before that. But Norris, again, he should have been in that position, really, in Australia or definitely in the points until he got caught up in the geo train. But a fantastic drive and debut from Norris. He's been solid, hasn't he? He has been. Uh, a brilliant start to his season. But I'm going to point out that had Carlos Sainz not lost his in-plate to Max Verstappen, I'm not so sure Renault would have still been best of the rest because Sainz was very well placed. And he that was a proper overtake. Uh, just maybe a little bit of a uh, dodgy driving from him. Frustrating, but Norris there to pick up the pieces from McLaren, who suddenly look like their 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 recovery plan has finally uh, moved into action. They look race scenic. Yeah, so I was going to say, what about the other McLaren car? What about a McLaren overtaking a Red Bull on track? Um, and I've been I've been accused on Twitter of having an anti Max bias, which. I have, I really don't know why, but we, I can't believe we didn't, I don't think we did it. Whose fault is it on this, on this incident? But it was clearly science shut the door on Max and um, left him nowhere but the curb to go. Oh, Kyle, I think you're going to disagree with that. 
Yeah, uh, my initial wrote, notes were rude in big block capitals. <laughs> I think Max just slammed it in. There was a lot of contact there, regardless of sites closing the door. Uh, he hit him very hard. So I was leaning more towards Max. I, I, if we're going to, because Bradley will listen to this. So just to head off his passive aggressive voice note in the morning. Right. I, I think that at the apex, Max Verstappen still had rubber on the track on the left-hand side of the apex. So he got part of a wheel still on the track. And I think as they were heading towards the apex, they had both kind of consented to their lanes. And then it was then Max who then pushed outwards and hit Sainz. That said, Sainz didn't leave him an awful lot of room on the exit. But I think the problem was on the exit. I think they'd agreed to go to the apex in the way they did. So I just have to say that getting... Bradley's WhatsApp voice notes on Monday about what we did right and wrong on the podcast has become part of the routine. And I think there was one time where he was out of town and hadn't listened to the podcast or something. And I wake up and I'm like, where, where's the note from Brad? How, what, how did I do? I don't know. Am I just supposed to sit here feeling good about the content I've put out? It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But whether, um, whether Max had any bit of any tire on the track or not would make a huge difference about whether or not he was um, on the track and entitled to space or whether he was off the track and was obligated to return to the track in a safe manner. Yeah, we saw it was like with uh, Lewis and Vettel. Lewis swung across the front but left room on the apex. So that scenario didn't happen where Sainz snapped straight across and didn't leave any opportunity, particularly against somebody like Max Verstappen, you should know who you're racing against. You cannot swipe across and expect them to put the anchors on and drive off the track, not to hit you. So yeah, I think that was, um, it was silly from, it was silly from science, but yeah, I, I, I still blame Max. We're getting towards the end of the show, guys. We're running out of time. What a race, what a race review so far. But we've still got to dish out some awards. Formula One 2019 has fully kicked off. It is game on. Bottas staked a little claim in Australia. But Charles Leclerc has universally, across the F1 world, announced that he is a star of Formula One. You've got a very, very fast driver in a very, very fast car. And I'm not talking about the four-time world champion. I'm not talking about the five-time world champion. I'm talking about someone who was a rookie last season, and he's in his second race in his top tier, uh, in his top tier car. Charles Leclerc is the real deal. He's announced himself. He's a huge problem for Sebastian Vettel, and he's going to end up being a huge problem for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton as well. Let's give out some awards, though. Who's your thing of the weekend? Matt, two rumpets. Wait, don't tell me. First of all, tell me about your wife's mucky books. We got told off by Nick on the Wafflecast because it went a little bit um, PG+. When we were talking about uh, your your wife's books, I don't know if this is a selling point or not, but essentially we found out that you are the inspiration for a lot of the male leads. And I don't know if that's going to shift more books or less books. Well, it depends on whether or not they watch YouTube, I suppose. Oh, I see. Uh, whether they watch the YouTube version or just listen to your voice. Yeah. If they just listen to your voice, that might increase sales. If they have indeed seen your face, they're never going to risk. Or in fact, oh, it could be the other way. It could be that you're so unattractive, you're not a threat. Therefore, men are going to buy your wife's books for their partners. Uh, the latest one is called Love to Hate You. No, The Thing I Love to Hate and Then Love Again. No, wait, you tell me. The One I Love to Hate. Actually got a starred review in the library journal. A very positive starred review in the library journal last week. 
And it, well, you know, like I say, there's books, there's lots of different flavors of romance. For example, we can read murder mysteries or we can read Jason Bourne books. And as my wife's go, they are not as mucky as some books. So they can be read for the plot if you are into that sort of thing. The dialogue, if you ask me, is is like her real strength. Like she writes excellent dialogue. But mostly I'd say the more of them you buy, yeah. the more time I have to spend on projects like this. Exactly. So the, the, there I it will is. just say the chat room is horrified, and I think I think rightly so. But if we were to invite ourselves onto Nick's new podcast, what we would have to do is read your wife's latest book and then review that on the podcast on is he nodding it's a nervous nod from nick we'll ask him we'll ask him off screen we'll ask him off screen that's that's the fair way matt who is your thing of the weekend for the 2019 bahrain grand prix guys i'm quicker charles leclerc you've taken the low-hanging fruit yes i think uh gone not just leclerc although that would be an obvious choice that radio message says it all. The uh, relationship between the two of them has shifted fundamentally, and Mr. Bonato now will have an interesting problem on his hands for the rest of the season. Kyle Power. It's Kyle Power, isn't it? Not Powers. It's Power, yeah, without the S. I don't know why I'm always in such doubt when I, like, I've <laughs> known you ages. Kyle Power. You doubt everything I say. Kyle Power, uh, BBC Cambridge's F1 subject matter expert on Saturdays now, Kyle. So we, we know we can trust you. Mm, indeed. So are we uh, are we doing thing at the weekend? Yeah, it uh, was. I was giving of... you an opportunity to plug yourself, but you can just disregard it if oh, you okay. want. I'm, I'm still getting used to this, uh, the dizzying heights of local radio fame at the moment, so I couldn't possibly comment. All right, cool. Don't follow Kyle. Kyle, who's your thing of the weekend? Uh, my thing of the weekend was the, um, the error from the for the error from Vettel when battling in close quarters again. I'm, I was, I was, I was very surprised. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> but wait, it has wait, to that's be your, that's your thing of the weekend. I'm surprised to see something like that again. So, but that's your good thing of the weekend that you were happy to see that. Oh no. Oh no. All oh, right. It's just a good thing. Is it? That, that yeah, was my general, that's thing. the big thing of the weekend. My good thing of the weekend was the, um, Brundle getting confused with Shane Ritchie or whatever his name was on, on the grid. Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Oh, you're that guy, Richie. Oh, that's Guy Richie. Hi, Guy Richie. Yeah, I've just done it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Nick, what was your your thing of what can you bring any positives out of this weekend at all? Yeah. So I mean, to Kyle's credit, Schadenfreude, I think, is a is a legitimate uh cause for for thing of the weekend. You can, you know. Um, but for me it was Nico Hulkenberg until he until he blew up. Um, but not not his fault, but very, very impressive drive, especially if you can compare it to what Pierre Gasly did not do, which we haven't talked about him at all, but he um he should be worried about uh some some musical chairs coming up, perhaps <laughs> well, let's see if anybody uh, gives that for their missed apex awards because my thing of the weekend could be related to that because i don't I don't think they're putting Kvyat in another Red Bull. So my thing of the weekend is Albon, uh, Alexander Albon, who looked really, really racy, Kyle. Like he looked completely at home, very impressive. And if you speak to him after the race, it doesn't matter what license he races under. That's a British lad. And if we're going to cheer on the British drivers, uh, we should cheer him on. Unless you think Kevin Peterson isn't South African. 
Uh, Alban's good. And yeah, just listen to him. He speaks the Queen's English. He was born in London. He went to school in Ipswich. Uh, his mother, his dad is English, his father's English, but his mother's Thai. So he races under a Thai flag, but we'll claim him. He's good. We'll claim him. And he had a great debut in Australia. He probably would have got had a chance to get points again, caught out by the geo train. And this race, just solid, wasn't he? He was just very, very solid. I think, Nick, we can do what we do with like Deresta and Coulthard. When they're doing badly, they're Scottish. And when they're doing well, they're British. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, you did that with all the Northern Irish and the Welshmen and all that too, right? Tell you what, let's go on to the bad thing. It does involve finding another button. Oh no, you missed the Apex. I found it. That's the bad thing award. Matt, who gets your missed Apex award? Renault. Yep. Couldn't have happened to a nicer team, could it? Wow. But yeah, yeah. What is it, three failures in two races? I don't know, but... But on the same lap, in the same place. I mean, just like, what is that? How does that happen? I really want to know. Kyle, who missed the apex for you? Uh, Red Bull chassis did. The Red Bull in general wasn't there. They'd paced a weekend. It was nothing to do with the engine. I think Honda had made, uh, Honda have delivered on their part of the bargain, but oddly, Red Bull haven't. It's like 2017, Red Bull with a, uh, a regulation change. Red Bull was surprisingly off the pace of their chassis at this track, I have to say. But no, Red Bull were my mistake picks. Yeah, so, I mean, that is the the chatter is that Red Bull uncharacteristically aren't on top of their, their chassis. But you would back them to then get back in form. It's just a, a terrible shame that it's happened when they finally got a bit of power under them because, you know, people can confu- can accuse them of doing what McLaren did, which is constantly claiming they had the best the best chassis um but I, I, don't, I don't think that it's not true i think red bull are good aerodynamicists uh, and we will see that come through who missed the apex for you nick numbers alexander at nick alexander f1 on twitter can i have two yes okay I, i'm gonna give it to sebastian vettel because i'm sure you will but somebody has to and and then pierre gasly absolutely um it's looking worrying for pierre gasly so, I mean, I've heard people saying in our Slack group that, you know, he should be looking out over his shoulder in the next few races. If it's that obvious that he's going to be behind the pace, Red Bull aren't shy. Yeah, ha- unless there's something fundamentally different about his car versus Wait, Max's car. When did oh, Kvyat, I haven't when, heard anything about that. When did Kvyat get dropped after Russia, after the Russian Grand Prix? Was that race five, Carl? Yeah, but that yeah. was double torpedo. I mean, that was <laughs> it was it was it was very specific circumstances. Yeah, but there. at least Kvyat was fast and rubbish, Matt. Well, let's face it. Who was he running into repeatedly? Oh, Vettel at the front. Who is Gasly running into? Oh, I don't know. Barely the points. Exactly. Uh, my missed apex award, since you're asking, goes to Bottas. I'm afraid. Did he shave his beard off or something today? Where's the Where's the power gone? Where's the strength gone? I think. Even though we are well wishing to Bottas and I really enjoyed him winning in Australia, please don't be mad at me. But I'm going to say that we now know that Ferrari had a power unit issue in Australia and we know that Lewis Hamilton had floor damage in Australia. Out of the four cars that had a chance of winning in Australia, three had significant issues and Bottas did everything he needed to do, but that is not representative of him suddenly being the top of those four drivers, and we are now going to see reversion to the mean trumpets. Yeah, possibly, but I'm looking at his qualifying time, and much like Australia, he was only a tenth off Hamilton, and that's where he lagged the worst last year. So 
So I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to hold my breath. Okay. And watch a few more races before I make up my mind. But Nick, last season when he was becoming the number two and the wingman, it was the race where he would go missing. He would just go anonymous and be inconsistent lap after lap, corner after corner in the race pace, not his ultimate pace. We know he's fast. Yeah. And he, he went missing today too. And he was pretty fortunate to come home with the second place. But to be fair, you know, he didn't spin and didn't lose all those places. So you have to give him some credit for not doing what Vettel did, I guess. Kyle. Yeah, but it, it was a very lackluster race performance from him. Quali, yes, is only a tenth behind, but this is one of the tracks last year that he had a better race than Lewis. Um, so, yeah, I was all on the Bottas beard hype train on the first two laps, and then it and then it went backwards quite spectacularly, and he reverted back to back end of last year. I mean, at one point, I think when Lewis overtook Leclerc, I think Bottas was thirty-two seconds behind. That's a long, long, long way. Yeah, his pace on the medium tire was was just awful and, and and inexplicable. I thought for a while they were trying to run him to make it a one stop to keep Ferrari from two stopping, but then he just kept on getting farther and farther and farther behind. So I I really don't know. I'm I'm going to be interested to see what we hear in the next couple of days about that. Thank you very much to Matt Trumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter at Kyle Power, who's not on Twitter but he should get on there because just be normal. And uh, he's a hipster. He doesn't like things that are popular. Oh, I don't even own a pair of jeans. I wouldn't know where to put my television. I'd, I'd have to move several futons. Um, at Nick Alexander F1 on Twitter and the, the podcast called what was it, Nick? It's called the What's It About podcast. It's about books. I know, I know, whatever. No one reads books anymore, Nick. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Mist Apex F1 and me at Spanners Ready, it just leaves me to thank the chat room for all their wonderful comments. But there can be only one comment of the week. Okay, Matt, run us through the top 84 candidates and then the eventual winner. Only eight. Only eight. I was very, eight. very, 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 very. All right, fine. All right. Actually, really only seven. Um, we'll start at the top. Uh, Jerome Jordan, can you please tell me next time Nick is on so I know Vettel will spin in the race? The very predictive powers of missed Apex panel bookings for future race events. Right. Dr. Vidya Gam would like to say that Burned Mylander was actually the driver of the race because his safety car saved Leclerc's podium. Yep, it was Leclerc's podium sponsored by Renault. Yes. Um, Paul Vanderpar would like to say it's a good thing to see F1 Almost being as good as F2, though, throwing a little bit of shade at the traditionally not quite as racy Formula One. Uh, Eon would like us to know that Vettel's wing fell off because he ran over Hamilton's sandbags, which I thought was fairly entertaining. I liked it. I like that. Um, Raul Waters is in, and I believe this actually made me almost laugh out loud. Did Leclerc's MGUH collapse because he sucked in Vettel throwing his toys out after the spin? Which I don't think Vettel really threw his toys. It was a reasonably calm response considering what had just happened. But um, Mark McArdle is in. Also, we ran out of ice cream last night. Also Seb's fault when I was trying to blame everything on Vettel just to make Nick feel better. But I believe our winner this week has to go to Mike Stoner, Berkshire magician. Mercedes motto should be, we may not be right, but we're first. Comment of the week. Wait, that's our motto. Well, yes, it kind of is, but kind of appropriate in the race, too. 
Thanks very much, guys. Kyle? Yeah, I just thought it was an honourable mention on comment of the week, and it was by Anders. He said, MGU hate. MGUH hate, which I thought was very good. Thank you very much, Kyle. Follow the show at Missed Apex F1. Join our Facebook group by searching Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. We have an Instagram page, but I don't know how Instagram works. Or you can follow me by searching Spanners Ready Anywhere. Please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Lots of guest shows this week. We're looking to speak to Sean Kelly virtual stat man we're looking to speak to matthew carter me and matt are going to have our waffle cast tomorrow afternoon what else have we got matt well we have a very late breaking news story if you'd like to chuck it in before we go yes I, I love last minute schedule and news changes when i'm trying to get out of the show go go for it please we're just going to say one thing which is it's coming out just now as we record go on then that apparently it was not the mguh but everyone is saying that he lost a cylinder on the way home and that accounted for the power loss and that's it lost a cylinder from overheating you say i didn't say from overheating miscombustion if you must know uh it will be interesting to find out stand by for those uh those breaking news stories oh no we don't have a website or anything should we start a news website so we can do breaking news that's not really what we do is it no we've got a waffle tomorrow yeah let's do it in the waffle cast tomorrow matt until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever this was missed apex a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.